0: A few years ago, I gave a keynote speech that rocked me to my core. I shared a vulnerable story about suffering, alienation, and ultimately redemption. The incredibly positive feedback, well, it was humbling. For nearly 20 years, a friend had encouraged me to record my story so more people would read it, would feel affirmed, would feel less alone. Enter the book, my book. The Man in the Ditch, a redemption story for today, is live after years of planning and months of nose to the grindstone writing, editing and rewriting. This book is my personal thank you note to the people who pulled me out of the ditch, onto solid ground and ultimately to redemption. And it's a love letter to others who find themselves in the ditch, a reassurance that they are never alone, a promise that life can be better. You can learn more about it on my website, themanintheditch.com, and you can order it on Barnes & Noble, Target, and Amazon. I'd be honored if you grabbed a copy, and even more so if you considered leaving a review on Amazon. Enjoy the show. I am all or nothing.
1: That's the Mike Bassett way.
0: Yeah. And which okay. I was completely jacked up. <laughs> I've spent years and thousands of dollars in therapy, but I know that's my default.
1: Right. It's your default. But here's the thing that people don't always allow to be true, which is that you can, uh, uh, who is it? The, the drag queen, what's his name? RuPaul. Oh. RuPaul said this. He said you should wear your identity like a loose...
0: This is Mike Bassett and welcome to Legal Grounds, conversations on life, leadership, and law. There's a part of the legal profession that I have to admit I have a love-hate relationship with. It's called the billable hour. Anyone who's ever watched a legal drama knows lines like, I'm billing you for this. And television will have you believe that the more someone charges for an hour of their time, the better they are at the practice of law which is far from the case but all of that aside here's why i have a rough tango with the idea of the billable hour it makes me think in six minute increments how bad is this phenomenon well if this was a video stream i could pull up my phone and show you a text from either one of my sons that says something along the lines of hey old man you got a second i need like 0.1 of your time Now, obviously there's a fair amount of ribbing that goes on in our family, but there really have been times in my life where this six minute increment mentality, well, it's gotten me in trouble or simply led me to miss out on the moment. When it comes to trouble, the first thought that springs to mind is the one and only time I decided to imitate my old man. A long time ago, when Liz and I were heading out on a date, she was running behind as teenagers are prone to do. In true Herbie fashion, I shook my wristwatch, looked at her, tapped my watch face audibly, just like the old man did to Jean. I ate alone that night. But when it comes to missing the moment, I've recently found a little slice of freedom from this mentality. I've stopped working on airplanes. As someone who is wired to believe incorrectly that the amount of the hours I bill is somehow of a reflection of my worth as a lawyer, I used to view flying as a time when I could bill and get stuff done. But as I flew back home from Washington, D.C. this week after a conference, instead of busting out my laptop and working on emails and networking, well, I read a phenomenal book called The Atmospherians, written by one of my son's closest friends. The book was a blast, but for me, what was even better is that I've learned in some little way that time management doesn't mean all my time has to be accounted for, Instead, I just need to know where it's going. My guest today knows all about this balancing act. Dr. Amanda Kroll is a change maker, reluctant runner, and coffee connoisseur. And that would usually be enough to get someone on this podcast alone. But the fun doesn't stop there. Amanda is an author behind the Catalyst blog, a TED Talk veteran, and designer of the Align Time Journal, which aims to maximize productivity and minimize guilt or judgment. And Lord knows we need minimal amounts of that. And if all of that wasn't enough, she's a doctoral lecturer for Hunter College specializing in early childhood development and has been an adjunct professor, tutor, and specialist in more fields than I can name. And I couldn't be happier to have her in the studio. Dr. Amanda Kroll, welcome to Legal Grounds.
1: Thank you. That might be the best intro I've ever gotten.
0: Time, time. During this pandemic, have you felt time sucked?
1: You know, I feel like time collapsed a little bit and expanded. I think it collapsed in the sense that our days all became very similar. And uh, that makes it feel a little bit like there, there are no peaks and valleys in the way that we're spending our time but a lot of people got an unexpected amount of time back. Now, not everyone, of course, some people, you know, had to go to work during the pandemic, but a lot of people managed to work from home and lost hour, hour and a half long commutes and suddenly are realizing um, sort of what they were missing when they were giving all that time away to the incidentals of getting to and from work and then staying late at work and those kinds of things. So I think, the pandemic has had a big impact on our perception of time.
0: I know that maybe a lot of folks that you talk with say this now a demarcation and when I'm telling stories is, OK, this was before the pandemic mm-hmm. or, you know, this was during COVID. Have you are you hearing that from the folks that you work with?
1: Yes, it is a it is one. of I think it's a great demarcation line in lots of different ways, not just in the way that we understood sort of our place and safety in the world, you know, like how safe are we being out in the world? Um, that's changed a lot for people, but also just what are my priorities? It's actually, it kind of a lot like the experience I had around 9-11, where there was also a great demarcation where it was like pre prior to 9-11, people were, I mean, satisfied and accepting that they had to do what they were doing. Post 9-11, there were a lot of people who, left their jobs, started new gigs, changed directions. I think the pandemic, I mean, we're actually already seeing it. They're calling it the great resignation. People are just leaving their jobs in droves and getting new jobs uh, because it's just not worth it. Life is short um, and there are opportunities and people are are realizing that, you know, things can change on a dime. So you better be doing what you want to do.
0: So you use this term, and I love it, accidental entrepreneur. First, yeah. question, how long did it take you to come up with that phrase?
1: You know, I don't know. I think it hit me like a thunderbolt because I myself am an accidental entrepreneur. And, you know, I help people actually build their businesses now. And I think it's because I was so shocked by the fact that I had to have a business. So, you know, I'm a very helpery type. You know, I'm like, I'll just help you. And then I was just run ragged, helping so many people for so little money that I kind of had to address it or I wasn't going to be able to continue to help the people I wanted to help. So I had to figure out how do I charge for what I'm doing? How do I build systems? So I have income and client, you know, all of that stuff.
0: And when we talk about nine 11 and then the pandemic, I mm-hmm. you are seeing a lot of people who have become accidental entrepreneurs yes. during the pandemic.
1: Yeah. Well, that, part of it's because suddenly they have this time. Yep. And part of it's because things got things got volatile and the systems broke down. I think no matter what side of any aisle you might find yourself on, it's very clear that the institutions, the companies, the, the healthcare systems, the information systems, like everything's just, you know, you start to think I better have a little something that I'm in control of.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that, and I mean, economic insecurity leads people to side hustles. You want to have a little, you know, diversified income streams. I do think a lot of people have uh, tried to strike out a little bit on their own, do a little something uh, that's theirs. Um, And that, you know, you find yourself often in that situation where you're, you know, you better figure out how to do this in a way that it actually supports your life. Because a business, as you probably know, like a business can be like the worst hobby ever. It can suck all your time and all your money. And you're like, I thought I was doing this to have more income security. I'm just, You know, bleeding.
0: Right. I'm working all the time. I'm helping everybody and I'm making no money.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And both sides of that equation need work for the accidental entrepreneurs. On the one side, they need to charge what they're worth and find good client flow and all of that business stuff. And you have to take control of your time. There's a way that if you, ah, there's not a way, it is so common. If you don't take control of your time, the world will take control of your time.
0: Oh, and absolutely. There's, there's a bunch of people out there. I will tell the lawyers that I work with, I've been practicing for 34 years. Nobody has ever come in my office and said, Mike, you really should go on vacation. Let me, let me clear eight days off your calendar. That's right. And so now I've gotten to the habit in September, I stake out all my vacation days for the following year.
1: Yes. Good. Well, it's the only way. It's the only way. And in addition to know everybody wanting every drop of what you'll give them because people are selfish, sort of just a human nature, like it's not like they are trying to be jerks. It's just how we are. Yeah. Um, it's also true that people get used to things and it's fine. It, once they know you're, that, you know, Mike's never available between December 16th and the 31st. So just let it go. It's never going to happen. People get used to things and it, nothing is this enormous consequential thing that we think it is. Um, but some of that, you just have to live your way into it, which is a lot of how I sort of talk to people about change. It's like, you can sit and think in a room by yourself if you want to, but until you're out there in the world doing things differently, talking to people and handling uh, the consequences that you can actually live your way into a different way of being.
0: And I think it's sort of a um, an ego burst when people mm-hmm. realize if I step away from this, everything's gonna keep happening. Yep. Which, which is really what as a business owner you want. But there sure. is a blow to your ego. You're like, well, I guess they can just do it without me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a I think it's I, I like to talk about it. as far as accidental entrepreneurs are concerned. I like to think of it as sort of like the the three well, <clears throat> I don't know if I can say this on your podcast. You can say
0: whatever you want.
1: <laughs> the, it's like the three oh shits of business building. Uh-huh. It's like the first one that's like, oh no, it's a business. And then the second one is, oh, no, I am maxed out. I can't trade my time for money anymore. And then the third one, which is where a lot of my like current coaching clients are at, is the one where you realize I must put systems in place so this can run without me. I have to scale it. I have to leverage it. I have to figure out how this can function without me. And I think there is a blow to your ego where you're like, I'm not the center of the universe. Like I'm not the source of all the good here. And then the relief that washes over you is so intense. I can have a life. I don't have to, um, I don't have to sacrifice everything. I'm working on a book right now, which is the align time method. It goes with the journal, right? And the tagline is how to do great work without sacrificing everything else. It's a, really, it's a really powerful realization to understand that you have to live on both tracks at the same time. You need to do great work because we're here to do great work. We're here to create things and change the world and improve things. And you are a human being and you require a, a healthy life if you want to do this, which requires, you know, once until you start prioritizing those things, you can't get to that through that third oh shit <laughs> of business building. And you will never be able to do the great work that you want to do if you're literally sacrificing the vessel of your life to the great work.
0: Right, and, and I view it is you know, you can't give a shit to anybody if you have no shit to give. If your, cup, right. if your cup is empty, and I will tell you, little peek behind the curtain, since mm. March of 2020, every Wednesday morning for 30 minutes, I talk with a counselor. And one of the things we have been working on for, what are we now, 18 months, mm-hmm. is protecting the asset. Mm. because if, you know, if it's Amanda Kroll, Inc., if you're running to the ground, if you're Mm. pissed off, Amanda, guess what? You ain't the best version of yourself, and your team feels the brunt of it.
1: That's exactly right.
0: And yet, you feel this pull, or I feel this pull, that you want to continue to do good work, and you love what you're doing. And Mm -hmm. that's what leads into my first question. You know, during this pandemic, what happened to me was, I could not put a fence around my day mm-hmm. because I'm working for, I was working from home. So, yep. I mean, I came downstairs, the kitchen is 10 feet away and yep. I knew it was bad. And my wife is the CFO of our firm and she works upstairs and I knew it was bad. One night I came up, it was like eight Oh five. And I'm like, I got done early Ah, uh, like this. Yep. This is stupid. Mm-hmm. And it really has been a difficult it has been an action-driven, insight-filled, productive failure because I make a goal every day to be done at a certain time. And I got to tell you, some days I hit it, mm-hmm. some days I don't. Right. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I do on the days I hit it and Good. repeat that daily. But it's a, yeah. it's a challenge because I don't know about you, a lot of the folks you deal with, I'm an all-or-nothing person. Yeah. You, know, you get your TED talk. I'm going to go to the gym three times. Mine would be like, "Oh shit, seven times a week <laughs> yeah. for yep. 120 days, after right. 15 minutes every day." And then the minute you miss it, you're like, oh. "It's over.
1: <laughs> I'm a failure. I never <laughs> tried."
0: Yeah. And, and we're going to get into I love your talk on failure. Uh, so I got I'm going to switch gears with you. I saw my production staff put together that you used to be a teacher for the LSAT. Yes, I did. Okay. Did you ever think about going to law school? I
1: did think about going to law school. Um, in fact, I, I uh, you know, took the LSAT because you have to take it in order to qualify to teach for Kaplan is who I taught for. Um, and it was my plan to go to law school. But there was a moment when I realized just mostly, honestly, what I realized was I liked the LSAT. That's what I liked. I just liked the test. It was interesting. It was fun. It was full of puzzles. It was verbal. There was no math. It was awesome. I was into it. But when I thought about being a lawyer, I knew this is gonna make me sound like an idiot, perhaps, but I knew that if I was gonna go to law school, I would have to go to Harvard Law School because I'm I'm that that's the kind of all or nothing person I am.
0: Wow. Wow. It would have
1: to be Harvard. And then in order to pay for Harvard, I would have to be a this this was my my honest to God thinking at 25. I would have to be a corporate lawyer which would be a terrible fit for me so I better not go to law school.
0: Wow. So I got a
1: PhD instead.
0: <laughs> which is uh yeah.
1: I don't know if it's harder but it certainly comes with the same amount of student loans and yet not the quite the same access to income. <laughs> so but it worked out okay. I'm happy with my choice.
0: I love that you created a story, you put yep. it out in your mind, and then you thought, well, oh, I can't do that.
1: <laughs> That's right. Oh. That's right.
0: How many times have I done that? Um, so, this this TED talk of yours, I got to tell you, I watched it twice, and just mm. closure, it took no- took no,
1: no I took notes. You took notes. I'm a note taker,
0: i.e., yeah. law school and college. Yeah. Uh, so, defensive failure. Yes. Okay um before we break it down what 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 came to mind was and you and you mentioned the book growth mindset Mm -hmm. that all i'm going to be i'm going to say this word to be a person of impact sure i'm not going to say success because that gets really wonky i hear you You yeah some people say it's a big house whatever but to be a person of impact yes i believe is about the grind Mm-hmm. And it's about failing mm-hmm. because if you, and we I had a discussion with a, a younger lawyer in our office who was very frank, who said he, he's a new lawyer. I mean, the ink is still dry on his diploma. Mm. And he said, sometimes I, sometimes I don't do things because I don't know what to do and I'm afraid of making a mistake. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yep. he's frozen And we talked and I gave the baseball analogy. I said, Hey, listen, if you never step into the batter's box, you will never get a base hit. Now you'll never get hit in the head. You'll never strike out. Mm -hmm. You'll never do anything.
1: Yeah. Just never
0: do anything. So let's talk about this thing of defensive failure. Where does it come from? Where did you come up with this?
1: So defensive failure is sort of a root cause of procrastination. So my Ph.D. is in cognitive psychology. And so a lot of what I think about is sort of how does the brain operate in a world where we are familiarity animals? Right. And all animals are familiarity animals, right? Like familiarity is definitely won't kill you, right? If you've done it before, it definitely won't kill you. So our brain is, is honestly wired from the ground up. It's like built from the ground up to keep us alive. Uh, focused on familiarity and salience. Those are the two things our brain create craves the most, things we've done before and things that are so novel and dangerous that we need to focus on them so we can fight flight or freeze, Okay, right? That's just how our brain works. And moat, but we live in a world where a species that has outgrown our brain to a certain extent, to where actually the thing that it makes us successful as people is our ability to change and adapt and respond to, to non threatening novel circumstances. Right. Right. But we are all really, um, we're really bad at it. Um, because, because our brain is not set up for it. So there's this way that when our brain is not convinced that we can do what we said we would do before mindset reasons, which are these categories of beliefs, these beliefs that are, we hold about ourselves either, Uh, I'm not the, I'm not capable of doing it, or I'm not the kind of person who does it and it will like alienate me from my people, or actually I don't really want to. If those beliefs are in place, then your brain doesn't believe that you will actually succeed at doing it. And then sort of behind the scenes, almost unconsciously, it just redirects you around it. And this is what people call, often when people are talking about procrastination, what they're really talking about is defensive failure. They are stuck in their own minds in what we call a competing commitments loop, where they, they want two things that their brain can't choose between. Uh, I want to, what, what do you say, exercise. I want to go to the gym seven times, and I actually hate the gym. It's stinky and smelly and... It's out of the way and then my day is ruined, right? And those two beliefs, you're not acknowledging that they are um, in conflict with each other. So your brain sits in cycles between them, constantly making choices. I will go to the gym. I won't go to the gym. I will go to the gym. I won't go to the gym. And your brain has a certain amount of that kind of decision-making power. It runs through it. It's like, forget about it. And then you just don't go to the gym, but you don't notice because it's happening behind the scenes. So the first, you know, the, that was, uh, that was like, I don't like going to the gym. But even if you say like, if I go to the gym, all of my friends and family will be like, who are you? We don't know you anymore. That's the belonging piece. Or you're like, I just am not athletic. I've never been athletic. I'll never be athletic. I'm never going to like, I don't even, it's just not, I'm just not, some people are and I'm not. Mm -hmm. Those are the three. And any one of them can shut you down. But if, you, if you've really struggled with something, your whole life, probably all three are involved. And the interesting thing about you mentioned Carol Dweck's book, Mindsets. Mm-hmm. She talks that the purpose of that book is to talk about education, students in schools, right. largely thinking about math. And that's true. But she talks about it as intelligence, right? Like, how, what do you think intelligence is? It is Is it this fixed, God-given genetic trait? Or is it something you can grow over time? Right. But my experience has been that that growth mindset, fixed mindset conundrum is very highly specific. You can have a growth mindset about math and a fixed mindset about poetry. You can have a growth mindset about the gym and a fixed mindset again about dancing. Mm-hmm. It's just, It's really, really hyper-specific and dependent on your own specific beliefs about yourself based on your history and your family and your... Um, the things that you've done in the past.
0: You know, when I was listening to your TED Talk, the the second thing I'm going to jump around a bit was, you know, I I think folks like me don't do things like this. Mm. Do you think that there is a, a hint of that first cousin imposter syndrome that sort of plays into this when we talk about defensive failure?
1: I think there's an imposter syndrome in it, although imposter syndrome sort of is a shared child between the growth mindset and the belonging mindset, meaning uh, I'm not the kind of person who, and I don't think I actually can. Those come together into the imposter syndrome.
0: Okay.
1: I think the part about I'm not the kind of person who is a little more subversive. Uh, it sort of plays out on two fronts. One is like literally the people in my life are going to be confused this is something that plays out in schools a lot when, for example, a kid from a disadvantaged community ends up in a, a high-income school for whatever reason. They get bust there or they get, you know, access to it somehow. There's a lot of tension and discomfort and feelings of being a traitor to your community that a, that a child or an adult, right, uh, people who get scholarships to go to Harvard, for example, and they, they've never been around great wealth before and suddenly it's everywhere, it's just really uncomfortable to find yourself sort of lifted out of one universe in reality and dropped into another. And the tension that we feel about leaving our old world behind is extremely intense. It's a much less intense version of that when you talk about going from somebody who never exercised to someone who goes to the gym, but it's just a milder version of the same thing. Like, what am I leaving behind? What am I leaving? Uh, what, who am I turning my back on? And there's this there's another way that it plays out in your own mind and your own beliefs about how things are related. I call it the banana of beliefs. It's like if I'm an athletic person, what else does that mean? And we're not exactly examining the bunch of bananas we're looking at, right. but they're impacting us nonetheless. Like, oh, athletic people are not very intelligent. And I'm not saying I believe these things. I'm just saying like in this, the world of stereotypes, right. We sort of group beliefs together. Athletic people aren't very intelligent they're so they're shallow they're worried, they're they care about their body so if i exercise but we don't even know that we're doing this if i exercise i'm going to have to also be those things and that's unacceptable to me right so that causes us to to sort of fall prey to that belonging mindset procrastination defensive failure
0: and so the one you talk about you know maybe a child from an underprivileged family ending up going to harvard i can actually yeah. see that You know the the cultural pull of what do you think you're better than us right or these are my friends i can't be in one or the other i what made me think about was times in my life where i've said okay you know what i need to really lead a healthier lifestyle Yep. i just need to lead a healthier lifestyle and to lead a healthier lifestyle there's a whole group of friends and i'm not going to hang around anymore i know not not because they're not nice people oh they're fun as shit
1: Right. That's the problem. <laughs>
0: but that's not leading me to a healthy lifestyle. And then you get the pushback. What do you don't want to hang out with us? What are you too good for us? What are you Mr. Goody two shoes now? You know, yeah. what, is it going to kill you to go out and have a cheeseburger and right. and you feel that. And, and I got to tell you the pull, you know, to, to misquote the, the saying the struggle is real because you're like, oh, yeah. no, I'm just trying to better myself. And when it comes from the, your family or your close friends, I got to tell you, Amanda, it can suck.
1: It can't. Well, I mean, honestly, like the the recidivism research, right, like the question of whether if you go to jail, do you go to jail again? Right. Will you, re? Really, you know, it is largely not really about like how successful were you at your uh, rehabilitation efforts inside the prison? Although they're terrible at them. So I'm sure, you know. But it's more about they return to an environment where everything in the environment is shaping you towards the prior experience. You have the same friends, they have the same beliefs, there's the same structural inequalities or whatever that are happening in the environment. And it's difficult. It's like a groove. You know, they talk about neuroplasticity in your brain, that where like you want to walk familiarity again, you want to walk the same path. You want to fall into old habits. Like your brain really, really wants to. And part of that is reinforced by the people around you. If the people around you don't change, the habit doesn't change. If it's a really a big, and that's hard. We can't, you know, and um, at the same time, you can't walk away from your wife and kids and best friend and godchildren. And Mm -hmm. it is tricky. It is tricky, but it's not, um, if you don't mind, I just want to like, say one more thing about that, which is there's a way that we, I think you said it, I think earlier you said, I'm an all or nothing person, right? You said that? Yeah. The way that you said it, it was a non-negotiable. You're like, that's how it is. I am all or nothing. That's the Mike Bassett way,
0: right? Yeah. And which okay. is completely jacked up. And <laughs> I've spent years and thousands of dollars in therapy, but I know that's my default.
1: Right. It's your default. But here's the thing that people don't always allow to be true, which is that you can, uh, uh, who is it? The the drag queen, what's his name? RuPaul. RuPaul said this. He said, you should wear your identity like a loose garment. And that is not how people wear their identities. It is like a suit of armor. Who I am is who I am. But the truth is you can be lots of different things, including not so black and white, not so all or nothing. And you can develop a set of skills where you can sometimes, you know, eventually go out with people who are eating hamburgers. And you can get a salad and you can have a set of things that you say to people when they try to pressure you. And you can live your way into a more nuanced position. We default into black or white. I have to turn my back on everything in order to accomplish what I want. But the truth is, you can you cannot change your external life. Just change your internal life, and you can have the same effect.
0: Yeah. So what that makes me think of is if we do the deep work, I call it the deep work. Then we yeah. can be like, you know what? I'm I, I am really going to when I travel. The first thing I'm going to do is go to the gym, and I'm going to get a workout in. But then say to folks, listen, I'm gonna I'll get in. I'll meet you guys, you know, in two hours. Yes. Uh, and not feel bad about it. And and I want to take up the RuPaul quote. And yeah. you say it and it struck me like a thunderbolt. So in our family, we have we have struggled with folks who have various degrees of mental illness. And, and sure. if you are a, a high functioning, hard charging, a personality. Sometimes people who struggle getting to places on time or fulfilling their promises can really be troubling. And I don't know if you had experience with folks like this. Who will say, Amanda, I am there. Let's go on a trip. I've got my ticket. I'll meet you at the airport. I am so stoked. Mm -hmm. You're at the airport. And they're not there. And they missed the trip. Okay? Yeah. Well, I think you can, I think I've come to this conclusion. It didn't dawn on me. Again, it took Mm -hmm. a lot of work and a lot of therapy. We can be rigid and hold on to, by God, this is the way it's got to be. Or learn to love people loosely. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. love them loosely. And that is, you know what, dude, I'd love you, Amanda, let's go on the trip. And I know that you're, you know, to use a phrase I love so much here in the uh, pandemic, I know you're a hot ass mess and there's a 50, 50 chance you will not show up. You know what, Amanda, that would be great. Let's do it. And then be perfectly understanding and recognizing there's a chance you won't show up and that's okay.
1: I call that, I call that, passionate detachment, which is where you are passionately invested in the best case scenario, you're doing your best thinking, you're setting in place all the right ideas, asking all the right people, but you are utterly and completely detached from the outcome. It's the only way to do great work. It's especially, those of us who are type A's, it's especially the only way to do great work in collaboration with others. Because the truth is you can't, you just can't people. I believe people are 50% their trauma, 50% their unique perspective. They're bringing 50, 50 into every room that they're in and loving them loosely. Like you said, is accepting both the unique perspective they're bringing that you are drawn to and you love, and you want to talk to and learn from and collaborate with. And 50% a history of trauma that we all have, whether that's big T trauma or little T trauma. Um, Yeah, so loving them loosely and holding, you know, like holding both that you matter and they matter. What you want matters. There's a way we can flip-flop. Oh, I just won't care about what I want. No. Care about what you want. Put guardrails in place. Like set up contingency plans. Have at least one other person who's coming so you're not in Mexico by yourself or whatever. Unless that's what you want. And allow for them to just be who they are because they have no option but to be who they are. And I find people are much more likely to hear you, adjust, see things differently, make small changes when they're not being when they don't have to admit to being the, you know, some deep like some sort of terrible version of themselves in order to have the conversation.
0: Yeah. So we're going to go from RuPaul to St. Ignatius because I'm a Catholic. And one of the things St. Ignatius talks about is this term just benign indifference. Or, you know what i i really would love for this to happen but okay if it doesn't there must be another path i'm passionate about it yeah it's not being yeah. milk toast but uh-huh. okay i really want this to happen and for those of us who are control freaks everybody who's control freak raise their hand you want stuff to happen but then if it doesn't to be able to say okay well that was a failure yeah. Okay, that didn't yeah. work, but that gets me closer to where I need to be.
1: Yeah, I think that just goes back a little bit to something you said a little while ago, um, which was like protecting the asset. I think is what you said. Yeah. You know, like, how do you protect your own health in order to function? I think um, I find that there, like that, that is true, and there is a way where the real gold. Of a life and a business and a creative endeavor and a, you know, a scientific discovery or whatever, whatever great work you're doing, um, that the real magic happens when you go beyond protecting the asset to like optimizing the asset almost. And it's not like high performance, high pressure filled, like self-improvement stuff, but instead like you actually need more space to yourself To come up with great ideas, you actually need more health to have the space in your life to be to come up with the idea that blows the world away. Right, like that—that doesn't come. There's, you know, uh, you know, the musical Hamilton, written by Lin Manuel Miranda.
0: I, you know, what I think I'm one of three people in America that has not watched it, and my youngest son shames me all the time, dude. You and mom (laughs) need to watch Hamilton. So well,
1: I would agree with your son. But either, but even so, you know that it's won like every award. Yes, yes. Uh, that uh, Lin Manuel Miranda talks about how he was so he was stressed because he was like in the middle of creating the Broadway show he did prior to Hamilton, which is called In the Heights. He was just doing it and doing it and doing it, and then he was like, "I can't anymore." And he, I think he stopped doing In the Heights, and he actually went on a vacation, like a long one. And he was sitting there and he refused to do anything. He's sitting there reading a book. Turned out that it was that book about Alexander Hamilton that Ron Shebro had written. Mm -hmm. And he says like, there's no way the idea for Hamilton could have gotten to me in the state I was in before I just unplugged detached. And that is, I think very powerfully true, especially when you get to the point where, where we're at, where, like, we're successful at what we're doing, and now what we're looking for is the great contribution, the person of impact. And it requires that we be uh, even more protective of our asset, as you said, even than we think. And I think that that's also a similarly true fact, is that we have to learn how to collaborate with other people, which is this thing we were talking about sort of recently. Mm -hmm. It's it's similar. It's like we're not very good at it. We're not very good at loving each other as we are, accepting our trauma along with our insights. Like we expect everyone to be perfect because we're all in such an intense like battle against time. Mm-hmm. But the great ideas, the true innovation isn't something that like he would have never been able to create Hamilton without Debbie Diggs, right? Well, someday you'll know what I mean by that.
0: Okay. But I know we, and I know exactly what you mean, and I can point to a time where mm-hmm. of course in the world as a as a lawyer, the billable clock for most almost all lawyers is just the sort of Damocles that hangs over us all the time. And yeah. literally it just gets ingrained in your mind. And that is a, a one of the measures of, you know, productivity. How do I, you know, what hours yeah. am I billing? But I distinctly remember, I distinctly remember that Uh, I just wrote a book and we'll talk about it when we're off the air. I just remember the idea for it came sitting at Lucky's, my favorite diner Mm. that I go to for breakfast meetings. And I always get there early and I didn't have the newspaper and I didn't have anything but my pen and my moleskin.
1: Mm.
0: I thought, huh. And I started sketching stuff out and I can't tell you the number of times in my career. It is those quiet moments in a coffee shop. Yep. an airport bar, on an airplane, uh, on a 10 day silent retreat that I take every year, that the, mm. the big ideas yes. come up. But it's counterintuitive, Amanda, it's counterintuitive because the world tells us, grind, mm-hmm. get in, sun up to sun down, that's what's gonna make a difference, which it's not.
1: No, in fact, it will keep you locked in all cycles of defensive failure. Right. Uh, no it's it is uh one of the things that uh, in the book that i'm writing which i'll send you um it is is the real driver of great work is self-expertise who are you and what is required for you to have your great ideas what does it look when you need to grind away what do we need to have in place like you were talking about um the well, what are you working on where you you're trying to figure out was it billable hours where you're trying oh. to figure out how how do I do this? And you keep messing it up. And is that what oh, you're yeah. talking about?
0: Yeah. billable hours of how do I how am I able to end my day at, that's right. at night and not look up and it's 730 and I'm still going.
1: Yes, that's a question of self-expertise. So it's like you don't have to make sense to anyone else. And we are trying so hard to make sense to everyone. Right. To be perfect, to be, you know, whatever. All that drama, that imposter syndrome. But the real truth of it is there's a way for Mike Bassett to end his day at five. And the question that when that's the only question and everything is on the table, then you develop real self-expertise that makes it possible for you to have your best ideas under the best circumstances that you can implement quickly and be that person of impact. But when we're when we're like crammed into the way the world wants us to think of productivity as this like never ending like battle against too many to do's. But actually, I would say I would look at your list of to do's and I would make it my business to cut 50 percent of them, Oh yeah, you know, and then then you get into that space where you can be creative and you can discover unexpected things. Like if I turn off my email from three to five and only sit and wrap up my day for all that time, I'll be so efficient. I will be done at five Mm -hmm. and then you're like, oh, that was easy but you don't find it if you're if you're trying to constantly meet every expectation.
0: Right. And if you and if you buy into the myth
1: mm-hmm. that
0: production equals worth. Which it uh, doesn't. good. Which it, which it which it doesn't and no. it, it does make me think of um, I think a lot of times people fall into the trap, me included, if I only had self discipline If I was just more disciplined, Mm -hmm. and and I have not done the research like you have, but I have come to learn this cold, hard truth. It has shit to do with self-discipline. It has more to do with setting yourself up to make it frictionless to go to the gym, to be done at five, to do that. Because every day we are faced with these choices. And you're right. Mm -hmm. You were talking about we are creatures of habit. Mm. Running joke in our family, we will go to. So, my son and I went to Washington, D.C. We spent a weekend together. And we went the first night there, we go to the concierge and say, Hey, listen, we're new in town. We don't want, it. we can go to some of these places anywhere. Where should we go? And mm. they said, Go to Old Ebbets. I think it's Old Ebbets Restaurant or something. It's the mm-hmm. oldest restaurant in D.C. Great. We go over there. It's packed. We're like, Can we get two at the bar? Yes. Go up, have a hamburger, have a beer. It's great. The next day in the afternoon, where do you want to go? I'm let's go back to Ebbets. And that's <laughs> like, no, dude, we are not doing that. We're in DC. But you know what? Yeah. I was completely ready. Well, I like that. I know where it is now. Yep. Yep. I know where the I know where the bar is. I know where the mm-hmm. Ebbets I want to do that. And while mm-hmm. that protected us ten million years or ten thousand years ago, it really locks you into being a living a smaller life. Wouldn't you agree?
1: I would agree. Well, and I think like I think what you were saying about that is, is true. I think there is that habit and, and you can enjoy things, you know, like you get to be a human being and human beings like love repetition. So you can give yourself the gift of repetition. It's okay. Like you can drive to the gas station the same way you always drive to the gas station. Like not everything has to be like this chaos of change. Right. right. But when you, when you're trying to do something different that you haven't done before, That's really when like be in D.C. and truly enjoy it or write a book, but you've never written a book or or, you know, like the things you really want to do. That's where you need to save your your determination and your willpower to find your way into to experiment your way into how you best can accomplish that change. Right. Willpower is really important. Willpower and discipline. It's important. But they are skills that are meant to be used rarely. The best thing you can do is set up your life so that, like you said, it's frictionless to do what it is you want to do. So that you have access to your willpower to do the things that are hard, that get you closer to your actual long-term hopes and dreams. But we have set our world up where we're so intent on meeting everybody's expectations. I need to be smart and thin and busy and beautiful, and like, all that shit is hard. <laughs> and you're using all your willpower on it. But really what you care about, maybe you care about those things. I don't know. But maybe what you really care about is making an impact, writing a book, showing up for your kids, making a difference, loving, with open hearts. And you're, you you do have no willpower left for that. Right. You have sabotaged your own life. And that is what I really really want people to stop doing. Because I think everything in the world would be better if we would all just accept that we want what we want, we are who we are, and that everybody else is doing the best they can. And we let go of a lot of this sort of stuff in the ether where we're shaming each other and ourselves, Mm -hmm. we would end up with a powerful, creative, dynamic, collaborative world.
0: And we, and we know when it happens because we are in relationships a time when you do catch lightning in a jar.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: In, in those times. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Stephen Covey. You know, yeah. we all live in quadrant two or four when really yeah. we do our best work, our deepest work in quadrant one. Yeah. In quadrant one, where, you know, I right. go outside with a cup of coffee. And I'm just going to sit and think. Now, I always take a moleskin and a pen because I I think and I write. Yeah, me too. But I think that that is where, honestly, that's why it would allow me to be able to write a book during the pandemic and launch a podcast during the pandemic. I'm like, I got time. Yeah. When I would normally have a breakfast meeting when I would normally do lunch, when I would normally go out of town for a conference. I don't do, I don't have that. And so that freed up this. Now, here's the challenge. Mm -hmm. Now we're going back to normal and here in Texas, we're zero to a hundred again. Okay, well, now it becomes protecting what I've sort of expanded out. Now, no, I'm not gonna do all that again because I kind of like what I got here.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think you just named A big thing that a lot of people are really grappling with right now. I think you just named it perfectly. I love what I've been able to create with the time and space I've had. And I think that a lot of people, when they're, if you're courageous, which I'm sure you will be, you say, you just set different guardrails and different boundaries and you just refuse to go back. And like I said, people get used to things. Mm -hmm. they're already used to it, actually. This is everyone's great opportunity to create a life where it really is optimized towards who they are and what they want by refusing to take on much of what fell to the wayside during the pandemic.
0: And that's why I think we're seeing the great resignation. People are like, you know what? No. 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 I'm a hard pass on that. So before we we end, I want to talk about your Align Time Journal because self-confession, I am a... I am a journal calendar junkie, okay? <laughs> uh, yep. I'm also, yeah, when I go to a bookstore or an office supply store, I get the side eye for my wife. She's like, you need another calendar. I'm like, but look, yes, I do. time is this? And I need this journal. So tell us about the Aligned Time Journal and what is it about?
1: Yeah, so the Aligned Time Journal really is about helping you to do your great work. I find that it, it isn't going to be something... it. So I'm a sort of an expert, a trained expert in the the getting things done process.
0: Love it. That's what well, I learned. Well, what David Allen book?
1: I'm sure you've well, got well, it. Life changer. <laughs> life changer. Well, when I worked in consulting, it was the only way I survived. It was really, really powerful. The The limitation to it is that this does not have the assumption that you should actually say no to a lot of things. It basically makes the promise you can do it all if you get your Systems Part in
0: together. order.
1: Right. And it's true. You can, you can do so much. But I find that until you take on a few other mindset shifts that I refer to as sort of the compassionate time management, the saying no, the building self-expertise, and the supporting yourself as you do something new, until you take those things on, you will always be stuck in that terrible feeling of I'm missing my life. I'm not doing what really matters. I'm doing all that. But the thing I care about, the thing I'm on this planet to do, it never it never makes it to the top of the pile. So the Align Time Journal is there to support people who are like, I really want to keep that thing on my radar. And it's a, it's a fairly straightforward system that asks you to pick three goals. One, that is a stretch goal. Like, I really want to start speaking on stages, for example, would be just an example. A support goal that you think is going to help pave the way for that stretch goal to be easier. Like maybe I need to get better at my paperwork or something like that. And then a sanity goal that keeps you grounded enough to actually do this difficult thing that has you kind of freaked out for all those mindset reasons. What if I'm not the kind of person and this is the thing I really care about and everyone's gonna hate me and I, uh," right? To calm your mind enough, you need a sanity practice that helps you stay grounded. And it can be anything. It can be exercise if that keeps you grounded and not panicked meditation, eating well, whatever. Honestly, it could be eating cookies as far as I'm concerned, because what I want is for you to do your great work. And then it supports you weekly on seg. How do the question that's at the center of it is how do I get a little closer to my dreams this week? And then how do I get a little closer to my dreams today? And it takes big goals and breaks them all the way down to the daily. And then the other big piece of it, there's lots and I'll send you one. So you have to send me your address. Um, the big thing is that it asks you what's likely to get in my way. It's that mental contrasting. If you've heard of that, it's like, what's going to get in my way? Because if you acknowledge it's going to get in your way, you're more likely to find your way around it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When it gets in your way and you're surprised, then you're preoccupied with the surprise. You don't want to be preoccupied with surprise just to just find your way around it. And keep moving forward. Um, and of course there's gratitude built into it and reflection and all the good stuff from psychology that helps us do great work without sacrificing everything else but it really is sort of a works it's like a workbench come here and think about your great work once a week once a day move it forward it doesn't have a place for you to put all of your like you know it's not like a calendar you know write down your client meetings and stuff it's a it's a sacred space to focus on your great work
0: you know, what I hear you saying, it just dawned on me because you really chose the word where, well, an accidental entrepreneur to to go from that. I think what I hear you saying is you need to be an intentional person in the way yeah. you live your life. We fall into, oh, shit, look, I've got a podcast now or oh look, now I've got a consulting business. Oh, look, yeah. now I've got a law firm to yeah. being intentional about it. Yep and, yep. and staking out our course, because if we don't, then I think you're right. Our lives are run by other people, which mm-hmm. we end up bitter, pissed off and generally broke.
1: Yes. And no closer to what we want. Right. Yeah. Which is the bitter part of what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well it really
0: yeah. drives us. So if people yeah. are get a hold of you because your website is killer. I, I really liked it. If people oh, want to you. get a hold of you, if people want to reach out to you, they're interested in the book, what is the easiest way for them to find you in the ether?
1: Yeah. So I'm at amandacrowell.com. I suppose you'll put that in the show notes. Yes. And on the about page and on the coaching page, there's a place where if you uh, if you want to consider working together, uh, you can definitely schedule a call and I can hear what's going on with you. And then the Align Time Journal is a great way to get started. It has a lot of my own ideas sort of baked into it, of course. That's at amandacurl.com front slash by dash aligned dash time. Um, and we'll put that in the show notes too, I'm sure. Absolutely.
0: We've got all of your stuff that we will link to your show notes, including your TED talk.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs>
0: so as we wrap up. So you, the folks you deal with every day, the accidental entrepreneurs, the folks that you yeah. are coaching, what, what is the overarching piece of advice mm. that you find yourself giving in varying shades to folks in this last 18 months, what is the thing that you keep roll, hearing rolling off your lips? Amanda?
1: Oh man, that's a good question. I think in the space, well, in the space of being an accidental entrepreneur and building a business, what I've said to people again and again, especially in this environment where people are very overwhelmed, and a lot of the people I help are trying to help people, is that being your the youiest you is how I say it. Being the most yourself is the most powerful magnet that you can place in the middle of your business that stop being trying to be strategic and find a hole in the market and trying to be the way everyone else is and follow the yellow brick road. Because in an environment like this one, what we really need is help being ourselves, developing our expertise, um, accepting who we are, accepting others. Uh, that is all really powerful work. And when you're trying to get people to do powerful work with you, when you want them to really show up as their fullest self, the thing they need the most is for you to be your fullest self.
0: Love that. Amanda Kroll, thanks for being on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun.
0: This is Mike Bassett for Legal Grounds. Be easy, everybody. Legal Grounds was written, recorded, and produced by Dust Devil Press. To learn more about today's guest, and for links to the topics and materials discussed, please check out our show notes. For more information on Mike Bassett, visit thebassettfirm.com. Questions, topic ideas, and guest suggestions can be emailed to legalgrounds at thebassettfirm.com.